Hello, listeners, and welcome to the Downright Upright Show, the place to go to hear out loud and proud what Minnesotans are thinking. And I am your host, Philip Anthony. Thank you for choosing to join us today, and I hope you are all doing fantabulous. Are you doing fantabulous? I am. Wonderful. Fantabulous is my little word. It means fantastic and fabulous mixed together. My special guest today is Dr. Patricia Kent, a retired professor of voice at St. John's University and the College of St. Benedict. She received the coveted Schussler Prize in voice, and she has over 40 oratorio and concert works in her repertoire. Dr. Kent has also performed as a soloist with the St. Paul Chamber Orchestra, and she has appeared in many other concerts, operas, and recitals, too many to enumerate here, and she even recorded two CDs. Wow, awesome sauce. Welcome, Dr. Kent, to the Downright Upright Show. Well, thank you, Philip. You can call me Pat. Okie doke, I shall. I'll call you, call you Pat. Um, with all my guests, I usually like to find out their beginnings. That's just, a, mm-hmm. you know, lay a foundation and from there you can understand the person better. Where were you born and raised? I was born and raised uh, on a farm near Bruton, Minnesota. Bruton. Bruton. Where is that? Straight west on Highway 55, about 100 miles. It's in the middle of dairy country. Really? Yeah. Okay. And uh, was it a farm, actual farm? Where yes, you had yes. Cows and chickens and all that yeah, stuff? Yeah, we, we always had dairy cows, and we had chickens for a while, and we had pigs for a while, um, raised, you know, cash crops like corn, oats, oats, soybeans, things like that. Wow, I never knew yeah. that, too. Yeah. Wow. Okay, so uh, how old were you? And can you remember the first time you realized you had an amazing soprano singing voice? And can you tell our listeners where this happened? So what, did it happen at home or yeah. in church, on stage? Like, when did you realize? Well, um, I'm the oldest in my family, the oldest of eight, actually. And um, I had an aunt who, she was probably the one who encouraged me to sing the most. My dad had a beautiful voice. Just really stunning. Oh, he did. Um, Irish tenor voice, yeah. And uh, how about mom? Mom could, she would sing once in a while, but she was pretty shy around. The, <laughs> okay. Around my dad and <laughs> and me probably too. Um, but I know what, how old I was. I was five years old, and I sang my Wild Irish Rose no. for a St. Patrick's Day program in Clontarf, Minnesota, which is even smaller than Bruton. Oh, good. That's where my parents come from. And where was this? In, in on a, on where? Clontarf, Minnesota. On a stage or at home? or It was at the, uh, the town hall slash church hall. It was all one thing. Uh-huh. Um, this little tiny town of Clontarf, which I have so many happy memories of growing up. Were you shy spending time there. growing um, up? Or did you know you were a little bit of a Yes a ham? and no. <laughs> yes, yes and no. I was shy, yes and no. Uh, yes and no. <laughs> okay. My wild Irish rose. Yeah. Well, that's cute. Yeah. And... Um, as a follow-up to that question, um, did you ever do any classical stuff growing up? Like, was it always well, just start, pop music? I started singing. I started taking piano in second grade. And then at some point in there, I took some voice lessons from my piano teacher, although she really wasn't a voice teacher, truth be told. Um, and I would sing for a lot of hometown um, PTA meetings or... I sang for, I sang pop songs. Dionne Warwick um, was 
my favorite in high okay. school. All and right. I would, I'd, I'd sing those songs for like um, talent shows and homecoming and. Walk on by. That, yeah. <laughs> I think that was one. Do you know the way to San Jose? Oh, of course. Yeah. Yeah. yeah but yeah. I started, I took some lessons already in high school, some voice lessons from Mrs. Ralph in Alexandria. And uh, I think I always, probably from a real young age, knew I wanted to sing. Wow. Yeah. That's awesome. Can you remember the first time you sang in front of an audience and what piece of music did you sing? So in other well, words, officially like... Oh, officially. Uh, hmm. Well, I'm going to... What? Official first. Well, that would have been that... High school, maybe? Yeah, well, those, uh, you know, the things I talked about in... in uh, doing stuff for various pageants and contests and stuff in high school. Um, did you did you ever do competitions or this was just fun, just for fun? No, I did. Um, I did the county uh, county fair talent competitions, uh, which I'm now a judge of. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the, I know at the state fair. <laughs> um, but yeah, I were, did you, those. Were, you, were you the judge this year as well? Yeah. Oh, yeah. cool. Was it Not fun? Not the judge. There are lots a of us. A judge, yeah. yeah, judge, yeah. yeah. Was yeah. it fun? To it's do? always fun. It's always fun. Um, who, can you tell the stuff. listeners who won? Um, actually, I can only tell you who won my nights. Oh, okay. Um, but there um, there was one singer that won one night that I taught, but the other winner was a um, dancer. So oh. and and they always have a three judge panel. So there's always somebody who knows something about dance because that is not my area of specialty. I'll tell you that. Right. Not even yeah. classical dance. Mm, no, <laughs> I'm starting to get better though. I'm okay. starting to know the difference because uh, I've done it a while. You, you yeah. do the minuet. <laughs> <laughs> not exactly. Anyway, but uh, so did you ever consider singing in different genres of I music? I've always been interested in other genres. I. I, I you know, what's one that's out of your bailiwick that you that you haven't well haven't done or want to do? I guess R and B. <laughs> really? Yeah. Wow. Is, yeah. Now, that, what would be the challenge to do an R and B song? Do you think? There's so. It's much, not the range because you definitely yeah, have the range. Yeah. No, but. it's not a range thing. It's a style thing. You know, it's like. Um, well, I'll just can I segue a little bit because I think. I've become, you know, I was always trained to be a really good reader of music. Right. You know, and I've gotten better over the years. And I, you know, it's my, my entree into a new piece is, is reading. And with so many styles of music, that's not the entree. The entree is, is listening, right? And Correct. I've done yeah. a few things uh, more recently where I took a class in um, popular song and I took one in Irish song. And that's all listening. You learn that by listening. You learn the style by listening. You, uh, uh, yeah. And at first, kind of threw me for a loop, but then I realized I really kind of like it, you know. And um, it happens. It, yeah, ha it happens yeah. quite often. With, uh, for example, the one that hits me is Dusty Springfield. I oh, she's perfect. I remember yeah. when she started with her brother in the Springfield. She was a folk singer. Uh huh. And one day she was walking down the block and she heard uh, a song, an R&B song from, from the 60s. I uh -huh, don't remember, uh -huh. recall which one it was. And she goes, that's what I want to do now. And mm -hmm. she went, I mean, she did total you know, 180 yeah. and went from folk music to R&B. And she was considered white soul yeah, in exactly. the 60s. Sure. She was blue. She was. Well, they called it blue-eyed soul, mm -hmm. I guess, was the official like the term. Brothers, yeah. Like the Righteous Brothers, yeah. correct. So um, 
so if Dusty could do it, I think you could do it, Pat. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's what I say. Because, you know, I, um, I can sing... I can sing pretty much everything except R&B. I think I have trouble with that. I mean, I could do certain songs, but it would be in more of a um, poppy kind of way. Um, But um, how about country music? Have you ever tried to sing country music? No. Oh, uh uh-oh. Did I hit a nerve? (laughs) No, I mean, uh, mean, there are certain artists I like, but it doesn't draw me in. It doesn't draw me in the way... Mm -hmm. um, not even the old time, like the people yeah, we no, grew Patsy up with, like, like Glenn Campbell and people like that. And, I uh, mean, I, I love Patsy Klein. Everybody loves Dolly. I love Dolly. Yeah, Dolly. Uh, I love Johnny Cash. But I can't ambulate that. I mean, I don't have that, that quality in my voice. I think, I think I'm more suited to singing jazz, actually. I would love to hear you do Jolene one day. <laughs> I would, uh, you got <laughs> you to try to Maybe, it. maybe, maybe. Because that would be perfect for your voice, I think, because it's got some pitches, uh, high... Well, range-wise, range-wise, yeah, she's yeah. closer to my range. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 So, never know. Yeah. I mean, everybody loves Dolly. I mean, who yeah. doesn't love her? She, I mean, she's a philanthropist, she's a great person, and she's right. got a great voice. Yeah. And a great actress. She's, I mean, she's pretty much an all-around... I know. You know and just lovable. Just like you. <laughs> <laughs> anyway... So, uh, okay, so R&B would be the, the, the genre you would uh, like to yeah. try. Anything else? Jazz. I have done, I've dabbled in jazz. Any would, songs you want to bring up that you did, jazz numbers that you can uh, remember singing? Harlem Nocturne. When I did the class oh, wow. at McNally Smith, I got assigned that Judy Reiner and Lori Dockin assigned me that. And I thought, oh, this is so right up my alley. Oh, mm-hmm. so great. So great. I had so much fun doing that. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think... Uh, what's her name? Oh, uh, Peggy Lee stuff would be great oh, for you. Love her. Peggy Lee. Oh my oh God, my try gosh. doing some Peggy Lee. Her voice is so much lower, though. I don't know. Oh, is she? Maybe, maybe. She's, She's got that some... smoky quality, you know. It's just, oh, I love her. But you can sing an alto range, can't you? I can get down there. It's hard to live down there. <laughs> it's hard to live down there. Well, maybe. I mean, my voice has moved on for sure. Smoke a few cigarettes. And, yeah. <laughs> Never. Never. No. No way. No. Um, anyway, but that's great. Um, were, were there any singers, directors, collaborators who you came in contact with personally who were your greatest mentors and who gave you the most inspiration as a performer? And can you talk about them for the listeners today? Um, I never had a bad teacher. That's honest to God truth. I've Can you remember one bad... teacher that really took you under their wing and um, um, gave, gave you well, that inspiration? Sheila, well, Sheila Schoenbrunn, when I was in New York, when I was doing my first grad degree, um, she actually created opportunities for me. I mean, she, her husband um, was kind of the impresario of, of these these early music groups and um he hired me and uh, some of my first professional gigs came out of that you know Mm. and I kind of went from being a grad student right into singing some pretty high profile engagements what was your do you remember your first professional gig that you did that he gave that he uh, Um, led you towards yeah we we did um the play of Herod and the play of Daniel at uh Kennedy Center the National Cathedral Cathedral of St. John the Divine and Princeton, uh, McCarter Theater at Princeton. <clears throat> and, you know, it was um, like just all of a sudden you're doing 
these big gigs, you know, and we would. And they were challenging yeah, gigs, weren't they? Yeah, it was really that was a pivotal thing for me actually because it gave me a lot of confidence. Were you, when you first started, did you have butterflies? Was it was it really tough to to get out in front of all those people, or was it were you a natural that you you know it was? I would be nervous in anticipation of doing something, but when I was on stage, I. Yeah. Pretty, I get into the zone. A lot of, I, I yeah, can't I tell you how many zone. times I've heard that from yeah. different artists that have said, oh, you know, I, when I go out there, I feel like going to vomit before I go out on the stage. Well, I, don't, I don't think, I've, I've had some performance anxiety in later years, but I didn't when I was younger. And, um, but it was more like this bubble of anticipation, I think. But there's a nervous element to that, no question. Yeah, you know. But once a, you step out there and you and you you open your mouth, you you say yes, I I did it. You yeah, know? and I think too, as I've gotten more experienced, I'm not afraid of audiences much. My arm, I'm like I'm here to tell you something. I'm here to tell you something that means something to me, you know. And it's it's more direct. I'm more about the communication, and than about proving myself. Let's put it that way. Mm-hmm. You know. And can you uh, can you tell us like ever ever one particular performance that sticks out in your mind that you remember and the anticipation being so scary? I guess uh, where you um, kept you up at night, where you it was so challenging for you, or was you was it again very everything just came pretty? <laughs> I remember when I was when I was doing competitions when I was in college, and I got <laughs> I was much more nervous then than. I got to be later, and I think, oh, just give me a Experience shot. Experience is the I best. I need a shot of something. <laughs> then I'll be fine. <laughs> Liquor? Yeah. Okay, yeah. <laughs> and it worked. But then, you know, no, I didn't do that later. But early on, I remember thinking, I just need to calm down. You know? <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, a lot of people have said that. I mean, I, I, they, they, they get this terrible feeling coming over them before they step on the stage, and they're like, oh, What's my God. What's the worst that could happen? <laughs> you blow it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, well, you know, I mean, I've seen artists go on the stage and really, I mean, you and I had gone to a concert. Remember that particular oh, yeah. one I'm talking sure about? Do. I'm not going to mention who it no, is, no, no. but there, as as we, we, we mentioned, the asparagus was overcooked, right? Precisely. <laughs> so tell the listeners what that means so they get an idea. Oh, <laughs> That's an inside I joke. Yeah. It, yeah, I, I said, we were listening to somebody and I said, please come up with something to tell me when I have to stop singing. And my friends came up with the asparagus. Is overcooked. <laughs> I thought, yeah, you're right. Nobody wants to touch that. Forget it. Yeah. 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 Well, there's a few artists that I could say that about yeah, with, that yeah, are still yeah. around. And they, you know, I guess just their name alone, you know, draws a crowd, but uh, they, some of them need to really hang it up and, yeah. you know, maybe, I don't know, just do some autograph signings <laughs> or something like that. I don't know. Anyway, as a follow-up to the question I just asked you, were there any famous singers who you admired before becoming a professional singer who, after hearing them sing, inspired you to either become a singer or who you wanted to emulate? I remember this so clearly. So I went to St. Ben's as an undergrad, and the, the famous mezzo-soprano Dame Janet Baker came to St. Ben's, and... It was in the middle of the winter in the middle of a snowstorm, and the drifts were like three feet high. And mm. we trudged out to the Benedict Art Center, my friends and I, and um, 
only about 100 people were there. Maybe not even. It was a very thin crowd because it was a terrible night. Mm-hmm. And I just, I was kind of embarrassed that, you know, there weren't many people there. And she, oh, it was, I, I mean, I remember my friend Jane and I, I think we were in tears from beginning to the end. It was just such amazing singing. It was so soulful. It was so beautiful. It was so. What was her name again? Janet Baker. Janet Baker. And was she an uh, um, opera? She was an opera singer, basically. Opera and a lot of other stuff. More uh, more oratorial than opera. Some opera, though. And, um, I mean, if anything solidified my desire to do that, was listening to her. Right. You know, as, as an undergraduate, you know, as a, as a baby. Have you uh, ever seen any opera singers like Leontine Price or people like that? that oh, you- Leontine was Fabulous. You did see her. Yeah, at Carnegie Hall. Yeah, when oh, I lived wow. in New York. Yeah, yeah. And you we got went. a ticket? I thought. No, we got a ticket. And we, um, she did eight encores, all arias. Oh my goodness! And people were throwing roses at the stage. It was amazing. Yeah, she was. She's, she was she's one, one of, of my like mm-hmm. top artists of all time. Mm-hmm. Like when I grow up, I want to be like that. Oh, you know, Leontine. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, who else did you see that in, uh, who else did, well, you in know, a concert? Who else did I see in concert? I mean, sometimes you'll hear somebody in concert and you'll think, eh, that's, that wasn't, but I will say, um. Because Lee and Tina, I mean, everybody would, yeah. would, would have died to you see You know, the him. thing is, I have these idols, singer idols that are from the older times, like Rosa Poncel, who was Italian-American. Um, Renata Tibaldi was Italian. Those are the singers I listen to, and I think now that is peak beautiful singing. Right. You know. Yeah. My mom, um, when she was alive, um, gave me the love of music. Mm-hmm. My my family is very musically, you know. And I remember growing up, she would play a lot of records on mm-hmm. the, you know, and I, and I would listen. And there was a singer um, that she loves. His name was Jimmy Rosselli. He never got the he never got the credit mm-hmm. that he deserved the, the, fame, yeah. the, the voice on this man i i mean he sang it he sang a napolitano oh, cool. which is a dialect of dialect, italian yeah. mm-hmm. um he sang it napolitano um folk songs basically on love songs but with an operatic style mm-hmm. but notes that i mean would throw you off i mean i i would suggest my listeners you know um Check check him out if you like that kind of music, especially. Yeah, no, uh, Pavarotti did that too. He did a yes. he did a recording of Neapolitan folk songs, and I remember listening to that. And the, on the cover of it, he's wearing like a blue work shirt, <laughs> uh, and it's just it's, well, he is Napolitano, yeah, isn't he? Yeah, well, he's from Modena. Oh, okay. Uh, his his dad was a baker. In fact, there's okay. Can I one tiny little sidebar? Yeah, there's this recording you can find online of him singing his singing Panis Angelicus in the cathedral. And with his dad. And it's just the most touching thing. Yeah, it's I, think the most I, I think I've seen that. It's yeah. just... His father know, had a great voice, yeah. His, yes, yeah. and it's, he wasn't, of course, as accurate as, as um, Pavarotti. And you can, hear, you can hear him kind of defer to his father. It's a really, really inspirational... It's an inspirational recording to me. To watch, not just to listen to it, but to did watch Did you ever it. see him in, in, uh, sing in I did, live? in Central Park. Yep, uh, nice. again, in Central Park. It was uh, Rigoletto. And my friends and I, I got my friends from work who are not, they were not opera people at all, but they, we, I talked them into going to, uh, to hear him. And 
we thought we were getting there early, uh-huh. and we, no, we were parked by porta potties, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but we we got to hear him sing, and uh, he did La Donne Mobile, and oh, he had the God. and he had the uh, the fishing hat that he wore for the informal concerts. You know, he was just like like a working man. You yeah, know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, like yeah. a. Um, that was really that was really an event. And that's Undorma he did too, right? Yeah. That was a different Trento. opera. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. What about Placido? Did you ever see Placido Domingo? I didn't see him live, no. I saw Sutherland live. Carreras? No. Mm-mm. No. Well, those were the three, I think, when I was growing up that were pretty oh, yeah, up sure. there, Absolutely. you know, as far as the men. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and as far as the women, what was her name? Um there was one one particular one that I and it's, her name is escaping me right now. Well, Joan um, Sutherland was big at yeah, that Joan, time. Yeah, Joan. Yep. Mm-hmm. And um, Shirley Burbett, who I did see, and um, trying to think who else. Oh, Ellie Ameling wasn't really an opera singer, but <clears throat> did a lot of art song, and she was uh, I really admired her singing. Um, so you know, I was in New York in the seventies, so. Right. We used to go and get standing room. So was room. I. Standing room. <laughs> we used to get standing room at the Met and then kind of case the joint and see if we could. But we didn't know each other. I know. I'm so it sorry. Would have been sad. Yeah. That would have been fun. Would have been fun. I mean. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, let's go on to um, students now that you've had. Um, was there a particular student or students who you took under your wing and who today are very successful musicians in their field? Or is there a story about a particular student you would like to talk about? Well, I, I, I want to say I have, I think my students, the ones that I end up being friends with, which is kind of more important to me in a way. I think I know they a kinda, couple. They kind of self-select, <laughs> you know? I yeah. mean, they kind of self-select. And uh, I just had lunch with a student today who uh, was one of my, my favorite students who graduated, I think, five years ago. Um, and she's trying to, you know, bake her way in music. And I was telling you earlier about a student of mine who was an outstanding student who um, was actually killed in Chicago, which was just really tragic. In a, a, in a car of, accident? No, a victim of gun violence. It was. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. 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 Well, you know, we, we, we don't want to, um, you know, put... Um, any restrictions on gun sales we just want everybody and their mother to buy a gun it's unfortunate that we i mean other countries i mean it, it's you you basically have to jump through fiery hoops to get to be a gun owner um well i think i think that if you've lost i had when i lived in new york i had a very good friend who was killed uh in gun violence and i think that kind of marks you for life right it marks you for life and Absolutely. The, my, the, my, you know, full disclosure, my father was killed by yeah. someone who shouldn't have had a gun, and that's another story in itself. And I just wonder, with some people, if, if, it, if it takes losing someone close to you to see that we I think do that's something. what it takes sometimes, and, and unfortunately. I, I just don't, I don't understand. To me, that's mm, a lack of empathy. Um, mm-hmm. That that drives that debate, which uh, it's just shocking to me. I mean, I think once you've, I remember that day as plain as day. It's just like etched into my memory. And I think once that happens to you, you can never unfeel it. Mm -hmm. You can never unsee it. I mean, other countries where they've had, you know, shootings of children, for example, like Mm -hmm. in uh, 
you know, Parkland and all these uh, Uvalde, they they immediately, you know, gathered together and said, "We have to do something about this," and they did. Why can't I? Don't know why. What's making us different um, that we can't look at? And then this, it's the same people that that say, "quote unquote," they're pro life, which to me is a joke. I mean, if you're pro life, you would want to save your children and and kids going to school. Um, not allowing 18-year-old snot-nosed kids just walking into a store picking up an AR-15, which is an offensive weapon. It's not a, a defensive weapon. Correct. If somebody's attacking you, you don't need a an AR-15. I'm sorry. It's a, it's a gun that people use to be offensive, to attack another person and do away with their body completely. They can't even identify you when you're know. shot with those guns. So what do you think about that? What do you think the reasoning is? But Why are we like this in this country? I think, well, I have this perspective from being, um, growing up on a farm where all my family hunted and still hunt and they love it and mm-hmm. it's, it's a very big part of their lives. Absolutely. And, and um, Hunting is great. And my other experience in, you know, living in inner cities for most of my life and seeing the effects of gun violence. And so it's, I just keep coming back to, I was thinking about this, you know, this political divide stuff like that. It's compassion and empathy that we have to relearn. You have to, you have to relearn to put yourself, put put yourself in somebody else's shoes to see um, to feel pain from that some other person to consider going. the other side rather than this intractable position that is, you know, yes, my way or the highway. I mean, yes. and the answer is always compassionate. Mm-hmm. You know, yep, yep, yep. And it's unfortunate. Anyway, um, so what was the going back to your career again? Um, what was the one performance in your life that you are the proudest of? Can you remember one particular show or concert or oratorio or There's something a lot. There's that a lot you going. you had like people standing for twenty minutes or something that you really <laughs> were so proud of? of um, I'm well, sure you had a lot of standing ovations, but uh, can you remember one? I'll just talk about a few. I'll I'll try to limit myself, but um, cantata two hundred two with the Fox Society. And stellar soloists, um, amazing violinist, amazing uh, oboe player, and the conductor, my friend, was just like chill. He would just let us take it and go. And I thought, oh my God, this is like flying. And then, um, actually, my Carnegie Hall French program that was really a peak experience. That, that must was, have been so that was gobsmacking to you. I mean, to yeah. be standing even on that stage. Yeah, so it was the recital hall, I got to say. It was a Carnegie oh, recital. Okay, okay. So that's the smaller hall, but it's a jewel box of a hall. And um, it was something I had worked long and hard to prepare for. And my friends were there. And um, it just, I just felt like I am the luckiest person. You know, I'm the luckiest person to be able to do this. Yeah, yeah. You know? And you and, and your talent is obvious. I mean, I've heard you sing plenty of times, um, and um, unfortunately, the, the audience hasn't. But uh, they again, those you have CDs. I do. And uh, maybe we could talk about that then. How they can people can maybe find? Can, is there a way? Are they available or or just to walk to me? To walk to you. Yeah, talk to me. <laughs> okay, talk to you. All right. Anyway, um, so. 
as of today, you are retired from teaching at the University of St. John's and the College of St. Benedict. However, uh, by the way, uh, St. Benedict is the girls' side of the school. Just so other women's, uh, women's. Oh, well, okay, women, yeah. ladies. Um, <laughs> St. John's. Well, I always said girls because it's they're young, and anybody young to me is a girl. And somebody that's older is a woman. So, there you go. and I'm 62 years old. So, yeah. what do I know? Anyway, um, so. Um, However, you do currently teach at Augsburg and McAllister. Correct. Right? And is it, do you think it's your love of music that's so strong that it's difficult for you to completely retire, you know, sever from that, that love of music? And are you teaching the same courses that you taught in St. So, John's? I'm still teaching voice. Um, and so basically it's the same yeah, course, pretty right? Pretty much, yeah. And I think I just love working with young people. I really do. I, I just think it makes me young. It keeps me young to work with young people. No, I do my, too. I, I keep it, it get the cells and brain cells are firing, you know, and, uh, I just, you know, I think I can see over the years that I'm, I'm helping shape lives, you know, and I think that's important. It's not just voices it's uh-huh. at that age when we're, we're talking with older students, really it is a professional relationship there, you know, it, but at this age, it's there's so much they're trying to figure out, and you know it's. Um, is this an adult education class you're teaching at Augsburg? And no, 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 or no, it's a regular no. course. No, I, I mean my private students. That's a, oh, I a see different thing. Okay. But you know, at that age, there's so much identity stuff that's going on, and um, just where am I going in life? You know, and. Uh, you're a woman that, you know, the door closes and I suppose, you know, they rem- I remind my mom or maybe even grandma, no, whatever. But, you know. <laughs> yeah, and, that's what I, I, I feel I the same way, too. It's, it's not like I'm there. I'm there to teach them boys. There is. But stuff happens, you know. Um, and, and I've been able to be um, a guide for people, I think. I'm going to go off on a tangerine yeah, yeah. here. Can okay. I go off on a tangerine? Absolutely. Um, th- I think what would be difficult for me to be a, a voice teacher, and mm-hmm. this is just me, mm-hmm. and you can, you know, tell me what you think, um, would be having a student who is really, really, really into being a singer, and they open their mouth, and they sound like nails on a chalkboard, and you don't know <laughs> how to say, I think you should try something else. I mean, has that ever happened? Or what do you do in a case like that? Is there any, well, uh, I don't I would know. Say, I would say, okay, so... That I would make taught, me nuts. I always taught class voice. And class voice is not for majors. And these are people who just have, you know, they have a love for music. And the talent level is all over the map, you know. And, god darn it, I liked it. I Because, you know what it is? They're not neurotic. You don't have to deal with neuroses, which singers are kind of neurotic. <laughs> I hate to admit it, they're kind of neurotic. Okay. And, and these you know, that was just like always such a good energy in that class. It didn't really, you know, nobody was preparing to win Idol or anything, you know. Well, yeah. I mean, they were, uh, it was, um, it was just something I, I got such a kick out of because they're, they were so fresh, you know, and so, um, but don't game. You... They were game to try anything. So they, 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 um, they don't, realize maybe that they don't have that instrument that they need to sing or what do you is there a way to bring that out or maybe well, you know, i think I, I can make anybody better 
I mean, that sounds really arrogant, but I really no, that's do. that's wonderful. You know, I, I like to hear that, And I actually. think they, they got better. The kids I worked with oh, got really? better. Oh, really? No, I'm not saying they're ready <laughs> to win any competitions. I'm just saying... I was going to say it's that, It's a way yeah. to get gain confidence, you know, in being in front of people, which a lot of people have to do in their in their work lives. Um, <clears throat> and we always had a performance component at the end, you know, and I'd and tell them to invite their friends, come in and listen to them sing, you know, and this was going to be memorized and performed like it was the real deal. And, um, you know, I, I can't remember if I already told, <laughs> I think of one kid. Okay. Don't, was, yeah, but, but you could just. He wanted to be a major and okay. I thought, oh, this is never going to work. This is never going to work. And basically he was so withdrawn. He Aww. was so withdrawn, so shy. And I was trying to make him more comfortable. And I said, can you think of a place that you relocate yourself in your head, a place that you would feel comfortable singing? And he goes, so my room? And I thought, oh, I don't know what to do. <laughs> <laughs> my room. Okay. And, and, and other words, where nobody can hear. You know, I mean, it's just, you can't. Yeah, I, I get yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I um, I was told at a very young age that I had a good voice. You know, I was. You do have a good voice. Thank you. Um, I had a better voice. I think now, as I got, I've gotten older. Uh, my breath control is probably not as good as it was before. But at the same time, I just I don't care. I I got to a point where I thought, you know what? I don't care uh, if I make it in that because it's not. That's not the issue. To me, it's enjoyment. I do it for fun. I mean, if they didn't pay me a dime, I wouldn't care. Because I even, you know, you know, you know I like to go to karaoke and get out there and... I've been to karaoke with you. Yeah, you, yeah. Ha you have. Yeah. yeah, and you sang as well. I, I'm trying to remember the song you sang. Oh, wasn't it a... An association song? Aquarius. Oh, the Fifth, Fifth Dimension. Dimension. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's a high... That's pretty high, that song. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. And... Um, you did a great job, from what I remember. Well, you, you, it just anything, goes on too long. That's the problem with that song. Well, Let the Sun Shine. Yeah, it to, takes too long. Go. You have to cut some of yeah, that yeah. part out. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But um, I just think if you enjoy it, do it. You know what I mean? You don't have to be great. That's what I love about karaoke because there's people there that they couldn't carry a tune in a, in a paper bag. But um, they get up there and they're smiling and laughing and it's life affirming, having right? a exactly. Yep. It's fun mm -hmm. and life's too short to not have fun. So I would recommend karaoke to anybody out there. Don't say you can't do it. Just do it. Just try it. Right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, now, now. The no, end is near. No, no, it's not yet. <laughs> we have more to go. Um, now we've come to the part of the show I like to call the shift. We're there. It has an F in it. Shift. shift. Yes, I like. I, I always tell my listeners they find that funny because it sounds like I'm saying, yeah, yeah. You have to pronounce the F strong. Shift. Yes. Beautiful. Where I shift the questioning away from your career and into your opinion of current events. How's that sound? Sounds fine. Beautiful. Now, I, uh, as of the taping of this show, uh, the big news story is the forced busing of migrants. I'm sure you've heard of that. I sure have. Uh, from Florida, Texas, and Arizona to northern cities who tend not to demonize migrants. As a Catholic yourself, what is your opinion of the way these red state governors have treated these human beings who are trying to escape violence and terror in their home countries? Now, let me... 
let's just before you answer the question, I just want the listeners to understand what's going on here. These are people who have come to the border to seek asylum, which is every country in the world has that law. It's a, it's a worldwide phenomena. You are, if you feel that your life's in danger or they're going to kill you or you, there's some unrest in your country and you don't feel safe, you can go to the to the border of a country you want and, and and seek asylum. That's just the way it is. It's not, I'm not even, you know, blowing smoke in anybody's face. This is the way it is. However, these are people that were approved to for asylum. So they're now legal in a, in a quote-unquote way until their cases come up mm-hmm. before a judge. So in, they're already here and they're legal and they went through the process and they're being treated like cattle they're pretty much saying okay we're going to send you away we know and, and they're lying to them by saying you know oh you're going to you're going to get going to give you a job and we're going to give you money and we're going to do this for you and that for you lying through their teeth to get these people onto the bus to send them to a state where they have no idea where they are or who's there or anything so what is your opinion of this is it is it is it, is it is it humane? Is it is it a, a, a human thing or a, a an American thing to do? It's not. But you know, I was watching, I was watching the Ken Burns program about the Holocaust last night, and specifically, he was talking about the Jews who tried to emigrate to America to escape Nazi Germany, and the door was closed, and there was a lot of political reasons the door was closed, and I thought, oh, we just. For a nation of immigrants, we are a nation of immigrants. I'm from immigrant stock. You're from immigrant stock. Most of the people I know. Except the Native Americans. Yeah. Most of the people I know are immigrant stock. And I'm like, it's such a dearth of compassion. You know, I mean, these people, these human beings are being used to make a political point as a political stunt. Yeah, that's Santis, what it is. who has, you know, presidential ambition is and using Abbott. real and Abbott using real people to make their political points, you mm-hmm. know, and it's uh, to me, it's just it's disgusting. And we also call, our, uh, call ourselves a Christian nation. And it's like there's no none of the major relig- religions. They all have at their base compassion. That's supposed to be our welcome. The stranger was yeah, that in yeah. the Bible? Yeah, mm-hmm. it's 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 true in any and and I just uh, yeah, you're it, speechless. And, and, I know, me no, too. I'm not going to be speechless. I'm going to I'm going to say this. Okay, DeSantis says he says, oh, and they're losing their. We sent them up north. They're losing their minds. Actually, they're not. Actually, what they're doing is mobilizing to help people. Yeah, the, did you see the yeah. love that they're giving yeah. these people? I yeah. mean, it was like. No, actually, you are saying something that is not happening. Yeah, they're figuring out. They a way didn't to even help expect people. these people, they, and they still helped them There's out. There's absolutely no yeah. process. It's just a stunt. Uh-huh. And the actual uh, reaction from the places they're sending them is, "We will help you. We will help you." Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think that's what is just so striking to me is people who. Uh, say that they're people of faith and you don't have to be a person of faith you can just be decent you can be a secular humanist who uh, you know um 
just be a person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Recognizes that there are human beings in need. Um, but you know, Pat, th this is what burns my rear. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, you'll hear people on the other side who say, well, my ancestors came here at Ellis Island and they went through the process and everything was just fine. And, you know, but they don't realize they had to cross an ocean. Yeah. It wasn't they, easy for them. And, and they went on an island and the process. These people are on our continent. They're not on, across the ocean where they have to come on a boat and come over, you know. So it, it, it's the nearest country where they can find asylum is where they're going to go. Yeah, and, you know, they were talking about this last night and saying that there were very liberal um, immigration quotas until the 20s because they needed it for the expansion of the, the United States and they needed it for labor and they needed it for people who fought in the Civil War and stuff like that. I mean, they were liberal until there was a very anti-immigrant sentiment, which was against any immigrants who were not Northern European. That was basically the, <clears throat> the um, bar line, right? Mm -hmm. And um, there was definitely a racist component to the, the mm -hmm. quota systems. And um, the answer to that, I think, is the trouble is is that the laws haven't been updated or um, modernized or looked at in what since Johnson I might have that wrong I'm not exactly sure maybe Reagan not sure um, so well he gave amnesty to the yeah. aliens who, that's right, um, that's right. I, I called them migrants because that's what they but it are. needs yeah. to be looked at the whole system is you know um, it hasn't been modernized or updated. To, exactly. It has, it had, the, the, two, the, the Democrats and the Republicans have to sit down like adults, right. which they're not, yeah. and, talk it, and talk about... What's them, realistic. What's realistic. What can and we what's do compassionate. To, and what's compassionate. And, you know, every... Well, I shouldn't say every. Most um, um, economists have said, because we have such a dearth of, um, uh, of, um, of employees in right. this country, we, every, there's help-wanted signs all over the unemployment rate go. is 3.6 or something like that. Never been as low as it is today. Right. And still, as you'll hear Americans say, send them back, send them back. Who's going who's gonna to wash your dirty dishes at your restaurant? Who's going to clean your toilets in a nursing hotel homes. or yeah. a nursing home? Yeah. Who's going to um, be, uh, you know, um, I, I can't think of other things, but this... A, a myriad of things that they do that America picking crops, for example, in in, in the hot sun. Um, there are so many things they do that we don't do. So if we didn't have these people to do it, do you know how much? That's why we probably have inflation. I'm thinking because nobody wants to do anything that we need. Mm -hmm. So in in the long run, I think uh, admitting people into the country legally, you know, giving them work visas. If you don't want them to vote, because it's all political, they don't want them to vote. That's the whole thing. Um, you can't vote till you're citizen anyway. So uh, what's the point? Well, yeah. So then maybe we should just give them a work visa. And that you can't vote if you have a work visa. You know, so things like that where we can help our country and give these people an out where they can, you know. A path. Yeah, and out where they can out get out of the situ situation they're in and into a safer situation, and maybe eventually down the road become a citizen mm -hmm. and 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 you know and and be the next uh, doctor who cures cancer or 
You know, you know what I mean? I mean, we, we, we have to open up our minds and our hearts and be humans again in this country. I think we're losing that. I think the uh, Voldemort, our last uh, leader, <laughs> I think he, dis, he did something to some of the people in this country. I, I can't explain it. It's, I'm not a psychologist, but he, he, he made them rougher around the edges than they used to be. Don't you agree? Or am I think... I, I think he touched a nerve with people that, um, oh my gosh, I was having it. I was at the state fair and having a beer with Nicole and some of my daughter and some of her friends. And I was talking to one of her friends and he said, what Republicans have done is they successfully weaponize emotion. So if you have a resentment towards the fact that your life isn't the way it is, wants, the way you, your life isn't the way you want it to be, or if you have a certain prejudice, or if you, um, I guess I get back to resentment, that they have successfully weaponized those emotions so that you're, you're looking at somebody else and they're the problem. It, so you, you think know, he validated those negative feelings and made them okay? Absolutely, 100%. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I uh, speaking of the state fair... Racism. Well, duh. But, but um, speaking of the state fair, you, you and I went to the state... I, I actually saw you there. Yeah, right, right. But shortly, but, you know, it, yeah. I said, hi. You know? um, if you haven't... If you didn't notice, there were two booths. Two, not one, not... You know, two booths that were attacking... The governor, Governor oh, Walls, yep. two boots. They had to have two boots, and then they had, of course, a um, a, Je a uh, what's his name, Jennings. Uh, oh. Jensen. Jensen. Yeah, I'll yeah, call him Jennings. I don't know why. Um, a, a Jensen booth. So you have that booth to to attack the governor and two other ones, and there and the things they were writing on those booths, like he's he killed Minnesotans, he 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 abused our children because he put masks on them or whatever nonsense there was this was a pandemic i mean everybody in their mother that has half a brain in their head knows that droplets in, in, in within a 10 feet distance would give you that disease and could potentially kill you decimated so, my profession yeah I mean, and I know just two people closed down my profession for I know two, two people years. personally that died I know of, people that died of covid too. I know that people had really bad, long-lasting And people effects. that have long COVID now that are still suffering. And I think... Of, it, of memory, what do they call that? Um, they call it COVID fog, I yeah, think it's called. Yeah, yeah. Um, loss of taste. Things like that. You know, why, why do you think that people are still denying the fact that we had a pandemic and blaming the governor on top uh, of it? I think... There were people who were just so angry that he shut down businesses and, you know, people lost their livelihoods. And, you know, I'm, I'm sorry, but I think life comes before livelihood. And I really feel bad. And, but I think the government did a good job of trying to compensate people for um, lost business. And that's all we could do. We have to keep people alive or you don't have business either. If you mm -hmm. don't, first, you have to... The first duty is to keep people alive and keep them from getting sick. And I was so grateful, so grateful that I was able to get, you know, because I'm old, you know. So I, you know, I got vaxxed and boosted and I did get COVID, but I was able to get the, the 
Paxlovid and I recovered really quickly and I thought, well, at least I didn't get it when none of that was available because I know people who died and I know people who got really sick. Yeah, because Omicron was milder um, really than the original, sick. the Alpha, and I think it was Oma, um, not Oma, uh, Delta. Those two were killing people like and crazy. Had, and they had no nothing to combat it. They had no vaccines. They had no um, drugs for it in the, initially. And mm-hmm. I think, you know, to blame Fauci or to blame Walls, you know, to point, I know. point the blame I know, at the people who tried to keep people alive. I Again, I go back to something about the American psyche where we've lost touch with compassion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, we we obviously went through four years of someone who perpetually, perpetually called us out. And, and And the thing is, they call, they're saying Biden is calling them out. Um, he's not calling every Republican out. He's calling people who deny the election, who think the insurrection was just fine. And if you watched, um, uh, th- there's been so many specials on, on, on the news lately about the insurrection and, and leading up to what happened. It's scary. He could have literally stole this election and, and nullified the votes of millions and millions of people. And, and, be, and he would have been... The set only the only president in history to win two terms when not winning the popular vote either time. Yeah, it scares me. Yeah, it's it's frightening to me. It, it, it's, 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 uh, democracy is definitely on a on a, on a seesaw right now. Mm-hmm. It's like mm-hmm. what what I are agree. we going to do? And it really depends on November. I I really encourage everybody listening to this show. Please get people to vote. Um, go out there and um, um, door knock. Do whatever you have to do. I remember in the, the the 2020 election, you and I were doing some phone banking, yeah, and yeah. we were talking on the phone about it. And yeah, yeah, you, know, you had a few rough spots there, but in, in in the end, didn't you feel rewarded about what oh, you did? Oh yeah, I f- always feel good about it. I've done that for a long time, and I I feel like it's we ought to do what we can try to do anyway. And yeah. I'm really, really glad you're doing this because I think it brings an awareness. We don't have time to be exhausted. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> that's we a good might, way to put it. We might be exhausted, but we don't have that luxury. I mean, we're still in a rough spot. Yeah, yeah. And and the, and, and the thing about doing this, and, and I, I don't know if I've even said this on the air, but um, I do it for um, society. Mm-hmm. I want to... I don't want to force anybody to believe like me because that's not never going to happen and that's not my goal. But my goal is... Two things. I want democracy and I want civil rights for all. All, not one or the other, everybody. And if you get those two things, all the other policies that, ha- you know, like whether you want taxes or no taxes or you want health care, that's a, that's a debate. That's a healthy debate. But these two essential things, democracy and civil rights, to me, are the two voting rights, gay rights, African-American rights, um, the way they're treating these migrants in, in these southern states uh, like animals, putting them on a bus and sending them somewhere and just dumping them off. I mean, it, it, it's, de- it's dehumanizing it to me. Dehumanizing. I mean, Great. and to call yourself a Christian, you, you, you should be ashamed of yourself in, in my book, you know, the way I look at it. So, yeah, I mean, you know, those are my two issues. And, and I'm doing this for that reason. I want mm-hmm. not only people to know 
uh, well, the, you know, the, the motto of the show is to know what Minnesotans are thinking. And uh, you're a Minnesotan and you're telling everybody what you're thinking. And um, I'm telling, I'm, I'm, you know, I, I basically tell them what I'm thinking too. But I like to know different views of, of, of issues. And, you know, people are on the same page as me that are on the show because nobody wants to see anybody mistreated. I agree. No, nobody. You're a human being. I'm a human being. You know, we. Uh, the fact I can get married was only one one extra vote on the Supreme Court did that. Wouldn't happen now, would it? Oh my God, that that's the that's my big fear, and that's going to be um, a question that I'm going to be coming up with soon. Mm -hmm. um, let's do some more questions really quick before sure, sure. the show's yeah. over. Um, one of my biggest concerns is, is again the, the insurrection um, on January sixth, uh, talking about the riots that occurred and the um, attack on the Capitol. Um, do you think we can ever recover from the spreading of the big lie and get back to respecting American institutions again? Do you think that'll ever happen at this point? Well, I think a lot hinges on the next election because, you know, if the Republicans take control of the House, those investigations will be shut down. Oh, yeah. And with they the, said they the, would do it. The yeah. Justi Justice Department um, investigation is now stalled, which was Trump's whole uh, idea in getting John Deary because they figured out that he's slow. That's the thing, that he's very, very methodical. And the and judge slow. was So it's all about stalling. And the judge you know, that's, do, that's ruling on this mm -hmm. case is one of his, you know, he I mean, picked he, her. You know. I, the, the, the investigations have shown what collusion there was between the administration and... Um, the people who planned this insurrection. Um, it's, I mean, I think that has to be done, dealt with so firmly that it, that people will be discouraged from trying anything like that again. Again, I go back to this Holocaust stuff. You know, Hitler went to jail for only a few months and came back and, you know, initiated this reign of terror that destroyed the country. Um, Sounds like we're repeating. Uh, ho you know, well, there, I hope there, not. There, but. There's very many parallels. There's so many parallels between that situation and this, and, and you know, preying on people's fears and economic insecurity. I think that's all part of what fuels this uh, mm -hmm. resurgence of kind of right wing freak show stuff. And I mean, they love just, him. I think I, I, I don't know what it is because they don't really, he, I mean, he hasn't done a thing for them in four years except cut taxes for the rich. And most of these people that follow him don't have a pot to piss in or a window to throw it out of. Well, and, there's that. There's also people with money that support him. Oh, uh, yeah. Plenty. There's plenty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, well, they're the people, the, 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 it's kind of like um, if you do this, it's going to save America, you know, kind of thing. And they have a station, you know, that just spews all of this. So, yes, you're right. There are rich people and um, corporations, certain corporations, not all, um, who would love to have these people think that way so they'll vote that way, even though it's totally against their better interests. Um, and it's it's propaganda, basically. You know, and I think people have more in common than they want to acknowledge. Mm -hmm. You know, I think, you know, the Republicans in Minnesota, anyway, have successfully, I think, created a rural-urban divide where people aren't even thinking about what the things they have in common, like a need for uh, and good education, good schools, safety, uh, 
access to technology. I mean, the, all those things, everybody needs that. Mm-hmm. Um, but they've created this wedge between um, uh, rural and, and uh, urban um, Minnesotans, which I think is really destructive and, and, and preys upon people's fears. Yeah, I, and I talked about that on one of my shows. I yeah. said, because the DFL has the word farm in it, farm right. labor. And, and why are the urban, um, excuse me, the rural people up there, I like to call them up there, some down there too, um, supporting Republicans who ha- who are not supportive of farm farmers. Well, and- I think that the, somehow they were convinced that the Republic- Republicans did support farmers, and and maybe some in some instances I think they did. But the guy who got farmers represented in the big bill that passed in Trump's administration was Colin Peterson. What did they do? They voted him out of office. It's you know, and yeah, I yeah, yeah. don't want to talk about. I know these are my people, and I know that they don't want to be looked down on, and they shouldn't be looked down on because they're hardworking, solid, good people. And somehow, um, but they were led down the wrong path. They don't were. You think? They were led down the. Wrong I don't path. think it's their fault either. I think it's unfortunate. Um, you're right. I think you hit the nail on the head. I don't think it's their fault at all. I just think they heard. The echo chamber of you know the that's unrelenting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. unrelenting. Where they're going to get you know if you vote Democrat, this is going to happen to you, and that's going to happen to you, and then all these people are going to move in, and there's going to be crime, and they're going to be killing people, and it's just a lot of BS. And and I think people are are afraid. I think it's. I think the, the def- I think fear is a huge. Motivator. Oh my goodness! I think the Republicans are amazing at scaring people. I, they're the best. We we can't we for some reason we can't do that, but they they are really really good at it. You know, and I watch Fox News once in a while. Oh yeah, I do, I do too. Because I, I want to know what's going on. Yep. And I, I admit it, I do. I um, I want to know what's going on, and they're really clever. I gotta yes. say. Yes. Well, um, I have two Minnesota questions sure. coming yeah. up, mm-hmm. um, really quick. If you can briefly touch upon them, um. As you know, the uh, nurses in Minnesota went on strike, and not because they wanted more money, but because they're being overworked and they are concerned that patients are not getting the appropriate care they need. Okay, they're more worried about us, basically. Yeah. Uh, do you think misinformation during the COVID pandemic has discouraged people from either entering the field, to, you know, to become a nurse, or do you think it's just because they don't feel su- supported? I think. Um... I have a whole lot of um, nieces and nephews in the medical profession. What have they and, said uh, to you? I haven't talked to them about this particular strike situation. I don't know about that. But I, they have talked to me about how difficult the last few years have been and how exhausting it's been and how many people are leaving yeah. and the hours that they're asked to work. And, um, heck, we owe them our lives. Yeah, without you know, nurses. The whole, the whole medical community... If we're living today, the, the scientific, the researchers, and the healthcare system, we are in debt to them mm-hmm. for keeping people alive. Yes. And, and the and heroic things they did to keep people alive. So my message is support our nurses and doctors and give them a big hug when you see them because they are literally saving your life. They're right. literally doing that, and they're worried more about you. They're not asking for money. You don't hear them go, oh, you better pay me more money. It's all about us. 
and, and that's what they're striking about. They don't feel supported. They don't feel they have enough help. And that's, that's one of the issues about uh, Minnesota issues. The other one is uh, Scott Jensen, my favorite person in the world. Oh, <laughs> she's sticking her finger down her throat. Um, <laughs> the Republican candidate for governor of Minnesota. You know who he is, right? Supposedly a doctor. I don't even want to call him that because he's, it, it's disgusting. He should, be, he should lose his license if he's a doctor. Anyway, um, he said during his primary campaign that he's going to ban abortion care in Minnesota, even in cases of rape. And incest. So he's going to force 11-year-old girls who get raped to have uh, to go through the birth, to give birth. Mm-hmm. He's going to force uh, women who get to the seventh month, and the doctor says, if you have this baby, there's a chance you can die, and so will the baby. Or the baby's born uh, uh, malformed or whatever mm-hmm. the case, and it's going to be in terrible pain if it's born. There's a lot of different variables that can happen in the womb. And he's going to take that that choice away from the doctor more than the than the woman because the woman's a, the only choice she's she's making is to go there and say, "Can you help me? Okay, can you do something? I, I don't want to have this child for A, B, C reasons." The doctor is the one that says gives the advice, the professional advice, and, and by taking that advice away from a professional, that's scary to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I agree. So, um, and then he wants to cut funding for public schools, which would result in laying off a lot of teachers and increasing class sizes. Um, and then he's going to cut taxes for the rich and the wealthy like they really need it. Um, what is your opinion of him? Are any of these issues touching you? Like, is this I think motiv- he's reprehensible. I mean, anybody who would be a vaccine denier and a doctor, a person of science at the same time, I mean... I, he should have been disbarred right then. He should have. Oh I don't know God, what's the equivalent to yeah. the AMA says. No, we're ripping your license. You're done. But this this flip flopping on now he's modified his his position on abortion. And of I course think, he did. Who does? Doesn't that sound like because somebody familiar? General... And and I just think you know like these ra- the places where they've enacted these radical laws. It's already showing up. They have people who um, have. Uh, ectopic pregnancies and they show up at, at, at the emergency rooms and they don't want to do anything till there's infection because they don't want to get sued. Well, you can go from infection to sepsis to death in no time flat. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it, these are not rare. I mean, I think of just my family. There's a lot of women in my family. There's, you know, I'm the oldest of eight and two, only two boys in my family and a bunch of nieces and nephews. And we've had miscarriages. We've had ectopic pregnancies. We've had uh, complications. I mean, there's been, and, and we're, we're also producers. We have a lot of kids, <laughs> but you know, I mean, it's, it's taking away there's these, these laws that are being enacted are so radical. Draconian. Just, you know, Absolutely. I mean, they're, they're refusing to treat people with, um, serious and common infections, Yeah. you know, and yep. it's, it's, and, it's, I, and it's not like I'm pro-abortion, but it's yeah, nobody it's is. like, how do you legislate it? I don't think you can. Nobody's pro-abortion. You know, People I, I, are... don't, I don't think it's legislatable because there are so many situations. Pregnancy and childbirth are so complicated. You wouldn't think in 2022 that it would still be a, a health risk, a life risk for women, but it is. Yeah. There's so much that can go wrong. And I've seen it so much in family and friends and... Um, I, I think they're men, mostly, not entirely, but men are making these decisions. Um, 
about female bodies and female health with, I mean, I just don't, I, I can't understand how we can let this happen. Exactly, and, and, and like I said, it, it, there are so many different variables that can happen, whether it's, um, again, rape, incest, um, health of the mother, um, well, um, like the kid, in, the little girl in Ohio that crossed a state border, and yeah. they were saying that she, that she made this up. They were questioning no. her. No, they were questioning her till she proved it with a, a police record or uh, something like that. Really? I mean, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's disturbing. Um, the last question before we end the show, um, you know, briefly, if you can, you know, as you know, I'm a member of the gay community. Yes. That's why, that's why I say it out loud and proud at the beginning of my show. <laughs> I'm fully aware that next on the agenda is taking away the right to marriage equality. Shouldn't every citizen call their representatives and demand they put a bill on the floor codifying marriage equality in the law before the activist Supreme Court takes that right away too? Now, this is, a, this is an issue very personal to me mm -hmm, because mm -hmm. I'm married. Yep. Um, I'm in a same-sex marriage, um, and by the stroke of a, of a pen, these nine people can tell me I'm not married anymore. Um, oh, and I think, I think you're right. I mean, I think that the bullseye is squarely on the right to marriage. I, I really I think that's the thing they'll go for next. Yeah, because, you know, uh, Justice Thomas already said that that's the next thing to do, and... Um, I don't, I don't really know if we have enough time in this. That's why, again. To mobilize, yeah. Well, yeah, because, yeah. you know, I, I'm, I'm scared because if the, if the House does flip, that's never going to happen. The codifying any gay rights are uh, never going to. They're already demonizing the, the, the trans community. Yep. Um, what's the definition of a girl? I mean, are they stupid? Are you really stupid? Don't they realize when you're a trans, uh, a trans man, or a trans woman, especially if you're if you're a trans man, okay, you were biologically born a woman, but you still have those parts. And if you're a trans man, you could still give birth, you know, naturally because you you have the parts. So when you talk about the definition of a girl, that that, that, that that's not that. That's simplifying it because a lot of people don't feel comfortable in in the body that the God that God created them in, and um, they have a dysphoria about their 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 image. You know, it's like looking in the mirror and saying, "Ugh, that's not me." You know, and it it, it affects you psychologically. And these people need to be respected, and they need to be told that they are valid. They are they are part of society. This is you know who they are. And it comes back down to compassion. I'm telling you. Again, Philip. it's compassion. You know, it's all about compassion and yeah. um, empathy. So, that's what you know. <laughs> yes, empathy. We're, tra we're trained in that from the time we're little kids. Where uh, where does it, you know, where does it go away when you when you talk about difference? What yeah, what is yeah. that? Well, I, uh, to end the show here before we uh, I say we say goodbye, I um I just want everybody out there to understand my mission here. I want everyone regardless of who you are, whether you're Muslim, black, white, gay, straight, trans, Native American, uh, Native Canadian, uh, whatever you are, 
to understand that you have your, you, you have a right to be equal to everybody else next to you that lives next to you, that's around you in your society, everyone. And the minute that you say one group can't do this, mm-hmm. you can't do that. Demonize the other. Yep. What they're doing to African Americans makes me vomit. You can't. They, they took all these voting areas away in very highly predominantly uh, African American neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. So they used to have drop boxes all over. I, I I read something about Texas where they had uh, in Houston where there's all the that's where the population is Dallas Texas and all. Uh, Houston, they took boxes away. And so now these people that found it easy to vote will have to either find some sort of way to get to these voting areas to vote. Um, It's just making it more difficult instead of saying, you know what, it worked pretty well last time. Let's just keep it, you know, the way it is. You know, what was touching to me, though, and positive to me is remember on Election Day, with all those obstacles, those new obstacles that were put in people's way, mm-hmm. with COVID, with people standing in line with kids and with masks, those lines, people stood in line for an hour to reassert democracy. And I'm still going to give water to these people. Democracy. I don't care what they say. If I'm in, if I'm in Georgia and I see somebody wants water, I'm going to give it to them. Arrest 100%. me. 100%. Arrest me. Anyway, unfortunately, we have come to the end of the show. And um, I want to thank you so much, thank Dr. You, Patricia Kent, Pat. <laughs> Pat, for sharing your time with us on the Downright Upright Show. And to our listeners, thank you for spending time with us today. And please stay tuned for more of the Downright Upright Show in the future. And don't forget to volunteer or at the very least vote this November. That's the least you can do. Our state and our country depend on it. Right, Pat? 100%. Okie dokie. Goodbye for now, and thank you for tuning in. Bye, dear.